Hello, Leading Georgia subscribers and listeners. I wanted to take a moment and apologize for this episode being a little late. It was supposed to be out a few days ago, so my apologies to Mayor Donnie Enriquez. We had some technical difficulties, being that uh, I am recording from home, which means my dogs are barking a lot in the background of this one, and it has taken time to minimize the amount that you will hear my Mastiff Cali Bear. So uh, please bear with me, as you will still hear her a few times. Um, and again, this is this was a phone recorded conversation. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks. Welcome to Leading Georgia. I am your host, Brittany Bangert. While it's easy to find information on those leaders that have had a national impact. What about those right here at home? This podcast is about our communities, our leaders, local mayors, executive directors of our charities and nonprofits, our historical societies, our religious institutions. Leading Georgia is a community podcast by them for us. So join me as we learn about our leaders right here at home. This is Leading Georgia. Today's episode features Mayor Donnie Enriquez of Woodstock. This was a really interesting conversation that extends far past just mainstream Woodstock. What are the mayor's intentions with downtown Woodstock and the rest of the city? What is the mayor's leadership style and who are his heroes? Here now, the leading Georgia interview with Mayor Donnie Enriquez of Woodstock. So thank you so much, Mayor Enriquez of Woodstock, for sitting down with me today. Uh, I would like to begin as I do the rest of these interviews with uh, where where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, lived there until I was about uh, what was it thirty three five maybe. And, uh, Chicago for three years, and then to Atlanta in nineteen ninety. That's pretty big. I've I've been to New Orleans now twice because my husband is from right around there. It's a, a beautiful. Beautiful city. Uh, so, so uh, can you talk to us about um, you know your your I guess early career, your education, and what brought you to become uh, mayor of Woodstock? Well, my uh, education, of course, is in New Orleans. Uh, I graduated in 1979 from uh, Louisiana State University in New Orleans after a four-year stint in the Air Force right out of high school and. My education did not lend itself to doing a mayor's job. It had nothing to do with politics. <laughs> it was a business degree, and I had no inkling that I would ever become an elected person. So uh, it just it just happened. Let's put it that way. Yeah. We had uh, a mayor in 1999, David Rogers, who uh, spoke to me about uh, a new council ward position opening up due to population growth in 2000 and um, he uh, was actually asking if my wife would run and I said no I said uh, I'm her business manager for her private practice audiology she's also getting her doctorate degree at the same time oh wow so he said well we need to find somebody 
said, well, I, I know a lot of people in the neighborhood. Let me start poking around. And we had a bunch of meetings in the neighborhood that uh, about who could do it. And long story short, I was the one. I, I ran against two other gentlemen and won the race in 99 took off in 2000. And unfortunately, David, who recruited me, the mayor, died nine months later after mm. I was born in. He died of cancer. So uh, someone else took over, and I finished my four-year term in 03 and decided to not run for the election. So I got out, and for about a year, uh, I was living my private life and just working, running my wife's practice. And about six months before the next election, five out of the six council members came to me and asked me to run for mayor against the fellow that had taken over. Wow. And uh, I decided to do it and uh, won against an incumbent, which is hard to do. Yes. But I beat him, I believe, by only 32 votes, something like that. And took office in '86, and have been there ever since. Yeah, that's incredible. That that must have been, um, I imagine, thrilling and maybe humbling at the same time to have to have um, that many of your colleagues reach out and ask you to run for that position. Yeah, I wouldn't have done it if they had reached out to me. That's for sure. Um, so um, they saw there needed to be a change, and <clears throat> they supported me fully in the election. And without their help, it, it wouldn't have been successful. Yeah, that's incredible. So um, so I asked this because at the time then that you became mayor, so I grew up um, 20 minutes up the street from Woodstock, and I remember it being very, very different than it is now. Um, but I wanted to ask what that, um, you know, the early tra- trans- transformation uh, was like. I know the, 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 you know, when you came on board, what did you when you were elected, not came on board, when you were elected and sworn in, excuse me, um, what did what did Woodstock look like at the time, and did you have any immediate plans, or or did those come about in a, a, in a different way? Well, when I was on council for those four years, we were a, uh, you're familiar with downtown Woodstock, you got the railroad tracks running right, right down the middle. Yeah. But one side of the railroad tracks is just street, it was all and we had one row of businesses and I think there were only about eight of them uh, uh, in the older part of the side of the street and they all closed at five o'clock except for one restaurant that we had and uh, I mean it was like a ghost town yeah so uh, around 04 Right at the well, oh three, right at the end of my term as council member, uh, we had a private entity called Edgewood come to us with a plan for the other side of the street, and the plan uh, went through a lot, a lot of reviews, a lot of changes, and it took about two years for the council to actually approve them to move forward with the plan. And when I came on board, 
some of the buildings were just basically coming out of the ground. Uh, it was not worth anywhere close to where it is today. So we met with uh, the uh, heads of folks uh, when I first took over as mayor, and we started reworking the plan uh, <laughs> because we saw some, some things that needed to be changed that were going to be problematic down the road if they weren't. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Edgewood, to their credit, they were great private partners. Um, it was a great partnership, and they were very, very insightful. Uh, they, they were just, we couldn't have asked for a better, better uh, company to work with. That's fantastic. And uh, so they started building these more buildings according to the new specifications. Then, in 08, the reception hit. And unfortunately, Hedgewood, I guess they didn't have a lot of reserves because they were one of the first major contractors that uh, went out of business. So things basically had just stopped. Uh, there were some of the buildings were completed, uh, but they were empty. <clears throat> and uh, so, you know, there wasn't much we could do. Uh, you know, we can't go out and recruit for a private owner. Uh, they have to do their own recruiting uh, for businesses. But one thing we did, uh, we had a uh, young man who was our economic development director. And he's now the city manager for Canton, Billy Pepper. Yeah. When uh, I first took over, Billy and I sat down and said, what, what do we need to do bring people to downtown, uh, especially in the evenings and on weekends, which we didn't have that, that type of traffic. Uh, so we came up with the idea of what's now called Friday Night Live. Oh, yes. And this is a, you're familiar with it, but uh, it's a uh, first Friday of each month. We encourage the businesses to stay open later, uh, run specials, and so forth. When we first started this in 07, you could shoot a shotgun off on a Friday night and still not hit anybody. Oh, wow. We kept after the merchants. You know, you got to stay the course. Uh, you got to believe it's going to happen. And uh, to their credit, they did stick to it. And today they're reaping the benefits of it because, you know, you see what Friday Night Live is now. We'll have oh, absolutely. It's it's amazing. In the downtown area. Um, you know, what a, what a difference it made. And that was the impetus that got people to notice Woodstock. You know, when the businesses and they started get, renting the, uh, the spaces, probably 09 area. Uh, and more businesses kept coming in, so that attracted more people, especially for Friday Night Live. And, you know, it is where, what it is today. I mean, it's wildly successful. Oh, absolutely. I remember that I came on, I was in the Army at the time, and I came home for leave, and somebody mentioned, like, hey, let's go to this thing. And, you know, my experience of Woodstock, because I joined the Army years before, whereas you described earlier that everything closes, and I was like, well, what, why? Why? And I was um, amazingly surprised and, and still attend all the time. So thank you for that idea. 
Definitely. <laughs> no, it's been great. Uh, I know the merchants, uh, for the most part, are very happy with uh, what we've done in downtown. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as far as far as um, I, I guess currently, because I have some other things I wanted to ask you for the for the growth of, of Woodstock. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him, feel free to argue with me, of course. But when I go down there, I'm like, God, how much more can this grow? Like right here, this is, I mean, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, but are there, are there additional plans for, for more development for, to, to increase what, you know, what is, what, what Woodstock is like now with the restaurants and the shops and the people getting together? Yeah, we do have a plan. <clears throat> Two of them, actually. Um, the more immediate one is, excuse me, the more immediate one is on the Morgan based hardware site. Oh, yep. I'm sure you're familiar with that. It's right on the main corner of Arnold Mill and Town Lake and uh, Main Street. And it's, it's uh, about a two and a half acre property. And uh, we actually purchased it from Mike Morgan who wanted to sell his business and move it to another location because it's hard for his customers to get in and out. He's constantly fighting the battle of people parking in his parking lot, taking up space that aren't using his business. Yeah. Uh, we made a deal. We have 15 acres on North Main, just on the north side of town, and we sold him as part of the purchase price, uh, I think it's about four acres of that land, and he's building a new location. What we're going to do on that property, uh, our plans are we have a, a, a development partner uh, that's coming up with the actual plan. What we want to put on that site is a parking deck, which will accommodate over four, maybe 500 spaces. Oh, wow. Uh, a, a boutique hotel and other retail and restaurants on the ground floor. Uh, so we own another, I think it's about three quarters of an acre adjacent to that, that property. So that would be a total of about three and a half, almost four acres of, of land we're going to see this development on. Wow, that's incredible. Man. Yeah, it is. Uh, we were excited about it, but unfortunately, with COVID, we kind of put the brakes on, you know, rushing through the development process to try to get the thing built. Uh, we don't know what the budget's going to allow in yeah. a year or two because of, of the virus. Uh, we don't know where our you know, our property taxes are going to go, or our sales taxes, we, we just, it's an unknown. So rather than committing to start building as soon as possible after they move out, we decided to kind of put the brakes on it. And if we do anything on that site, in the meantime, we'll, of course, tear the building down and grade it and possibly put in a, a, a short, short-term uh, temporary parking lot uh, before we you know, start building uh, according to the plan. 
So that's what we have envisioned for that part of the property. Now, cat a corner from that that piece is uh, where we have on the corner is root stock and vine, which is a tapas and wine bar. And behind that is our chambers where we have our council meeting. Yeah. And then behind that is Elm Street Theater and the parking lot that's behind that. We own all that property, the city does. So our intention is, and this is a longer-term project than the one I just mentioned, but our long-term plan is to keep the chambers, and uh, because it, that is a historic church, it's over 100 and, uh, about 107 years old. Wow. We refurbished it on a beautiful property now, and we have our council meeting there. But behind that, uh, we're going to, uh, once Elm Street builds their new uh, theater on the property that we leased them in a couple blocks away, uh, they'll be able to move there, and we'll be able to tear down where they're having their plays now. And we're going to build a new city hall on that. Oh, wow. May encompass some more retail. We don't know, but it will certainly encompass a, uh, another parking deck. Yeah, I, I think that's that's incredible. Because, um, yeah. the, like, the, the when you go through, through I, I say Woodstock is a small town. I know it's much bigger than what's right there on Main Street, but to me it has that small hometown feel, um, and it's adjacent to my hometown, so I consider it as such. Um but I, I, I think that's a staple of a, of a town like that, is you see, you know, City Hall, you see where the work is being done. So I, I love that. Yeah, excuse me. Um, that, that was our whole motivation. You know, where the amphitheater is now was where our old City Hall was. Yeah. And we, we had to get rid of that building because it was a thick building. They had built a new section onto the old section. Uh, when they, they first built that city hall, it wasn't that old, but the old section of the building was molded, mildew. Uh, it was just a thick building. People were getting sick from being in there. Mm. We couldn't fix it. You had to tear it down. So at the same time we poured that down, well, right before we bought uh, what's now the city hall annex where, where all of our all of our business was done on Highway 92, uh, just past Trickham. And uh, we were able to build, uh, tear down that building and not have to build another one on that location. Now, when our current city manager came on board in 08, he and I sat down and uh, he brought with him a, uh, his director of parks and recreation from Orange Beach, Alabama, where he was. He came on board, and we, three of us sat down, and I said, I want one big thing um, uh, for the uh, Park and Rec Department, which we had no department to speak of at the time, so it was created from scratch. I said, I wanted an amphitheater, and I wanted more parks, and I wanted trails. Yeah. So they delivered. Uh, that was, you know, they, they did what I asked them to do and did it all uh, in what, about a 10-year period. So that was phenomenal in itself. 
Oh, absolutely. That amphitheater is, is gorgeous. I remember um, I, 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 am, I was uh, staffing one of the booths at last year's 4th of July parade, obviously not this year's. Um, and um, I would go over there just to kind of sit and relax and eat lunch every now and again. Every now and again, every now and again, relax. Please don't think I was eating lunch every now and again. Um, but um, right. it's it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous space. And I know people are are missing um, missing you know all that 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 you and and this uh, the rest of the city council have done with this virus. Um, I'd like to ask because I know there were some you know orders put out about the shelter in place and masks and things, and obviously uh, we're in a different uh, place as far as the orders go a few months later, but. Um, can I, can I, do you mind if I ask like what was going through your mind as COVID was approaching and then here, uh, with, you, you know, um, for, I don't want to say balancing the health and safety of your constituents because that's, um, uh, cause it's not a balance, but, um, you know, how do you, how do you say, okay, I'm still the mayor of the city. I need to protect the people. And that might mean like, as you said before, pausing the work for the progress we're doing. Well, uh, you know, you're right about trying to reach a balance between not stifling the economy, but still you have to protect citizens and business owners in the city. Yeah. We were, uh, right at the beginning, uh, we saw what was happening, and we were one of the first uh, cities in this area to ban in-restaurant dining. Yeah. We just said you can only do takeout, and we allowed them through a special order, executive order, to uh, be able to sell um, alcohol to go with the to-go orders, which helped them tremendously. Uh, shortly after that, maybe a couple of weeks, the governor came out and, and, and did the same thing statewide. Yeah. And so, but we were ahead of the curve, and... Um, the governor, in his uh, one of his executive orders, said uh, made it unlawful for any city or county to go beyond what his orders are. For instance, I've been asked by many people lately via email <clears throat> if I would make it mandatory for people to have masks on in the city when they're outside. Yeah, And I tell them, I can't do that because the governor specifically said he can't go above and beyond his executive orders. So even though I might like to do that, I can't do it Yeah, by law. But one thing we have done uh, just yesterday, I issued an executive order. Anyone coming into our city hall annex to do business with the city must wear a mask. We will provide you with one if you don't have one. Also, we've instructed staff members they must have a mask on when they're not able to social distance inside of the building. In other words, if they're in their own office by themselves, they, can, they don't have to wear the mask. But if they're in a meeting or they're interacting with the public, they must wear a mask. So that's, we took a step in that direction yesterday uh, because, I mean he, he knows well as I do the numbers are climbing yeah whether it's because we're testing more or not it doesn't matter the, uh, the numbers are climbing on the number of cases we have 
Yeah, I imagine that's just so difficult because, I mean, you want people to come back and enjoy, uh, you know, this beautiful downtown area. Uh, you want everyone to be safe. Um, so I, I imagine, and this is just kind of a general leadership thing, not specific to your position, but obviously um, you're a leader, you're a member of many um committees and, and, and clubs and, 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 and all and lots of, of, of uh, volunteer work for nonprofits. So I, I feel like leadership is definitely in your blood with the amount that you've done. Um, so can you talk to us about, you know, your, your leadership approach really to when something like you, you referred to before with the governor saying that you can't do more and, and whether you, you know, will again, take this whole mass situation out. Let's say if you would like to do more and you're just, your hands are tied as a leader, you know, how do you, how, how do you then take steps to, to mitigate any risk involved? Um, and you know, all, you know, steps paths two and three instead of path one then. Well, as far as what I consider to be leadership, uh, I've always believed you had to formulate a vision and take that vision and share it with people around you, whether you work with them, live with them, whatever the case may be, neighborhood, whatever, and get them to buy into that vision. I did this with the city, with our current city manager. I've always believed that you hire the right people, they buy into it what you're trying to do, you don't have to micromanage. Yeah. You let your people use their skills. And that's what's happened in, in Woodstock over the last 15 years. Um, people, uh, I mean, our city manager is probably the best hire I've made in over 40 years being in management. And uh, he's done a terrific job. He has in turn hired the right people. Uh, I've said in the past many years that we have the best staff that the city has ever had. So that's the basic premise of leadership. Coming up with a vision and getting people to buy into it. As far as, you know, how it, how it lends itself to the current situation with COVID, um, again, trying not to micromanage I hated it when I worked for somebody that kept their fingers in the pie, so to speak. Mm -hmm. and they didn't need to do it. I try not to do that. However, since all this started four months ago, whenever it was, <clears throat> my part-time job that I always refer to as being there has become almost full-time because we have to have so many meetings whether they're Zoom or in person, doesn't matter. There's always an issue that comes up every day that we have to deal with. I can't allow the city manager to take all that burden on, on his own shoulders by mm. himself. So uh, I've been trying to help as much as possible. So it's a balancing act, again, uh, just like with the safety of the public. Uh, it's a, a balancing act on how to do my job. And... Uh, I think the city manager and department directors and staff appreciate the way I try to go about my role with the city. Um, 
put it this way, I hadn't heard any complaints. <laughs> what I would say, um, and, and your constituents um, looks obviously looks like they agree if you're serving in your fourth consecutive term right now. A couple of times I was unopposed, so uh, I, I always joke with people when it comes to that. I said either people aren't paying attention or they think I'm doing a good job. <laughs> It just depends on your mood, which one you're gonna you're gonna absorb that day. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to uh, ask then. I, I don't I um I don't want to make this all about COVID, even though that's um I, I say our our new reality a lot uh, because or the new normal. You know that I, I I hear that a whole bunch as well. We just don't know. It's a huge unknown. Um, but but you know. In a world with or without COVID, whatever it's going to look like, you know, a, a year from now, um, are your plans for Woodstock to expand? Because um, obviously we talked about the expansion before and some of those things. Is it, um, you know, what's the, the strategy behind it? Because I know um, the strategic plans are there, right? And budgets are there and you respond to constituents and all of that kind of thing. But the strategy behind it is... Um, was it and will it continue to be, uh, you know, culturally, let's get to these shops here, like you were saying before, for the Friday Night Lives and the restaurants. Um, and and absolutely, I just love the idea of a, of a city hall. Or is there a limit to the expansion, you know, given the size of that Main Street area? And so at some point, it, it may have to stop. Or right now, is it sky's the limit? Well, obviously, at some point, there's going to be a stopping point. Um, I mean, there's only so much land. Yeah. And, of course, land is very expensive now. Um, but we, what we're concentrating on, uh, when you say expansion, not in so much as going, expanding the city limits. Uh, some of that, of course, takes place. But that's not where we're concentrating things. Uh, we have what's called unincorporated pockets in the city. Yeah. And it's surrounded by city property, but it's unincorporated Cherokee County. One of our goals is to close those gaps and make it all the city because quite simply, our police and fire respond to those areas uh, for services, but yet we're not getting the tax dollars Mm. Back that those services. So the state also decrees that you're supposed to try to uh, fill those gaps in. And they came up with a state law, oh, it was over 20 years ago, but it might have been close to 30, that uh, you can't create an unincorporated island. In other words, by annexing in a piece of property, you cannot create a new a new gap. So we're concentrating on filling those gaps. We've got plans in place. We've got a, a Highway 92 overlay, which dictates what can and cannot go on Highway 92, and if it does go in, what it looks like. Yeah. We have a downtown development plan. We have plans for different areas, Ridgewalk, where the outlet mall is. Oh, yes. We all have specific design construction uh, built in. So we're not just looking at the downtown area. Yeah. We're looking at the entire city. 
and uh, trying to make it the best it can be the entire city, not just in Yeah, and forgive me for that. Thank you, or thank you so much for that. And forgive me because, like I said, now I I lived in the city of Woodstock for about a year and a half, and and um, so my my apologies. You're absolutely right. It's much much larger than just that downtown area, um, and so you're absolutely right. Those those it clicked in my head. The offices on ninety two and going up like that is all, um, you know that. That is all the area that under your under your charge, so to speak. So, um, and then and the entirety of it is seeing pretty amazing uh, growth and development. So, forgive me for uh, focusing just on Main Street earlier, but you're you're absolutely right. No, most people do concentrate on downtown because that's what attracts everybody to Woodstock is the downtown corridor. Yeah, and, and like I said, I can't. It's 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 amazing, and it's um, I mean. We are not uh, venturing out, um, but we really miss uh, some of the, those, those restaurants and, and all uh, so, so much because it's amazing. It's a, a great walkable space. Um, my youngest son and I would go and do the, you know, Woodstock, the, the rock painting to see what he could find of people leaving different, um, different patterns on different rocks and leaving them around. And then he would paint some. So just like as far as activities for kids, just something as simple as that. Here, here, my boy, paint this rock, and we're gonna go leave it for somebody else to find and make their day. Um, and and like I said, I just remember growing up that that was not a thing. So, um, so I commend you and and the and the city council for that because I'm I'm sure none of that was easy going through it, and is still not uh, with with all this COVID and everything. Um, this is this is <laughs> it's it's. It's a question that I've already um, realized that people generally don't think about, but I'm going to keep phrasing it the same way um, because I love the answer on the other side. So um, I am sure you're familiar with, you know, the organizational leader paradigm of transformational versus transactional versus servant leadership. One of my previous guests actually said situational leadership as well. Um, I was wondering if you've ever thought about where you might fit into that paradigm or if you have a have you know a goal or goals of of one or the other wow uh that's a deep question (laughs) (laughs) um i think situation would be i don't know if it's the overriding factor for me but i take pride in being able in being able to um react to a situation that calls for leadership we're talking a lot about it is the COVID. I mean, obviously, it requires a lot of thought and a lot of leadership ability. Mm. And working with our city manager and city council, I think we've, we've come up with a great balancing act between economic recovery and public safety. Um, but as far as... Um, you know, like I said earlier, develop the vision and get people to buy into the plan. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the cornerstone of, of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, if, I, if I may offer my opinion to you, uh, which I don't usually do, but I have, because I don't know you personally, um, so far I, I have found this conversation pretty, pretty fascinating. Um, so I heard a lot of, of 
transactional. Like to be a mayor, of course you have to be transactional, right? <laughs> um, because there are budgets and this person has to sign this and where are the zoning, this and that, and wait, we need constituent input and all of that. Like that's a, that's a checklist of items, right? Um, and servant leadership, I think by, by definition then, um, but to me, um, and I said the same thing to when I when I spoke with Mayor Grant, um, and you strike me very much the same way. Like I said, of course, there's the transactional, but there's the transformational. And I'm, I'm not just talking about the the physical transformation of um, downtown Woodstock. Yes, but the entirety of Woodstock that that can't just happen. You know, you have to have like you've said that buy in. So um, for whatever it may be worth, um, that's my observation of uh, being on the phone with you for 40 minutes. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to ask is, um, I, 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 in, in researching for this, I see that you are a Vietnam veteran. Um, so thank you very much for that. You served in the air force. Yes, I did. Thank you. Um, so do you mind, and I, I'm fascinated by this question because I, um, as I alluded to earlier, I was in the army, but how do you apply, you know, the leadership styles of, um, of the military and especially when a person may have served can differ, um, particularly as you well know, if you were in garrison or not. Um, I wonder if you've, if you, if there are any like major lessons from leadership that you've taken, that you took from your time in the, in the military. Yeah. Uh, I think the main one, uh, is discipline. Um, it, I was not a very disciplined person when I went into the military, um, you know, I got out of high school, and I knew I wasn't ready for college. And my mom, my dad had died years earlier, but mm. my mom couldn't afford to send me to school anyway. So I said, okay, I'm going to go into the military and get the GI Bill. But something I found along the way was a discipline that uh, the military offered you. And uh, I bought into it. Mm -hmm. And it, to this day, it, you know, it served me well. When you put your mind to something, you have to have the discipline to see it through. And I think I've done that. Like I said earlier, we have this vision, people to buy in. We have to have the perseverance and discipline to see the project through. You know, you, you come across major stumbling blocks and just about everything you try to do. You have to have the discipline get over those hurdles and I think that's where the military came in in my development yeah that's fascinating I would I, I would love to say the military helped me wake up early but no um so I love that a recurring theme here um uh, that I, I I have heard is is you know this concept of buy-in and I know I've I've had um you know I've been in leadership classes and you know with both both serving in and working for the army primarily that this is always a debate in those classes. Like, what is buy-in? Why do you need it? You know, with one side, explaining what you've been explaining, that you want people to take pride in their jobs and they have to, you know, own it. Because ultimately, if you think about it, we spend, um, um, well, I, in my current position, spend more conscious hours in the week working than I do anything else um, during the, the workday. So you want to enjoy what you do. And then conversely, the argument on the other side is, don't you get a paycheck? Isn't that your buy-in? Um, so I was wondering your thoughts on, on that concept. Um, I mean, we should all know, all the listeners should know where you're headed with it. But, you know, 
I guess so maybe instead of asking what your thoughts on are on buy-in in particular, um, I'll, I'll rephrase to say, why is it not just about a paycheck when you're talking about buy-in for the people you work with? Well, if you're just working for a paycheck, you're, you're selling yourself short. Mm. Um, you know, if you don't like your job, find one that you do. Uh, because if you're just doing it for the paycheck, I mean, your life is not fulfilled. Yeah. You have to do something that you love. And in order to do that, you have to buy into a program. Uh, you know, city employees, uh, the one that comes in at, at 8.30 and leaves at 4.30 no matter what, is probably not the one that's going to last very long. It's the people who go to City Hall and they're, they're there after 5 o'clock because they want to make sure that they get that particular project done yeah. and out of the way. Uh, those are the ones that do are buying into the project. They're buying into the system. Um, you know, we all have to make money. We all have to survive. Um, but getting to that point, you have to really love what, what you're doing. And very few people get to really love the job they're doing. Mm. I, as I mentioned earlier, I work for my wife, ran her practice for 17 years. And that was the most fulfilling thing, even though I'm working with her and living with her, uh, which creates a whole different set of issues. Um, it was the most fulfilling thing because I loved what I was doing. We were helping uh, our community by providing a valuable service and changing people's lives. She's a doctor of audiology. You know, when somebody can't hear for so many years, and all of a sudden they put on a set of hearing aids, it changes their life. Oh, my gosh, yes. Things that they haven't heard in years. So we provided that service. That's why we love what we did. Uh, She's still doing it, of course, but uh, I'm retired now uh, from, from... my real job, as I call it. Uh, so I'm just doing the city thing. Uh, but you have to buy in to the job you're doing. You have to love what you're doing. And you have to believe in in uh, the system that you're working in. Yeah. Well, well I, I want to say um, um, thank you to you and, and your wife, because I swear... Um, uh, the the military or children seeing or the the dogs or children seeing their military members after time away and watching uh, people get hearing aids and hearing particularly you know babies for the first time that is good for a cry and swells of the heart and all the positive feels so um, I had no idea that that's what you that that's what you worked in before and, and what your wife does, obviously. Um, so thank you very much for that. That's, that's in, an incredible thing to do for people. So, uh, Mayor, I wanted to ask, is there anything else before we wrap up? Is there anything else you wanted to share, uh, with us at all? Well, you know, getting back to our downtown area, you touched on something, uh, about, uh, children and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, pedestrian friendly. We're striving even further to make it safer to walk around downtown. We're going to be putting in uh, lighted 
um, crosswalks for people that will actually light up in the ground. Wow. Walk. You know, those are some of the steps we're taking. The other thing was, some of children, uh, we just finished our downtown playground. And I know it's not well publicized yet because we haven't had the grand opening, but it's right downtown in, by the Elm Street Green um, at the trailhead. Oh, yeah, what a fantastic space for that. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's really it's getting good reviews so far from the kids, I'll tell you that. <laughs> fantastic addition to downtown um so um we're real proud of that one too so so my last question for you um it's is to I, I am fascinated already by the answers i've received to this question to include my friends that are like i want to play um is to uh tell us about three leaders um that you admire that have inspired you obviously we all know um leadership you know you can learn things from a bad leader, uh, but I want to focus on the positive right here. Um, so three people that, that you've, that you've, you, you know, you want to emulate that you've read about, what have you, if you could share with us. Well, yeah, first and foremost, obviously for me is Jesus Christ. I mean, it all started with him for me. Um, and to me, he's the greatest leader with, you know, with other things in history. And, so, I mean, I believe in I know not everybody does, but that's, they have their own uh, personal uh, heroes, so to speak. Um, but to me, he was the greatest hero uh, that I've ever, ever come across. Yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, Ronald Reagan. I mean, what he did for us to end the Cold War mm. was just phenomenal. I mean, I lived through the Cold War. I lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. And we would, every day in school, we have to practice preparing for uh, the atomic bomb class. Um, and he ended all that. Mm. Besides that, he brought our economy back from where it was. So he was a great leader for me. And then the third one, I think many people would be surprised to hear me say this. This isn't a political show, I know, but I am a Republican, but I admired Harry Truman, a Democrat. He was thrust into something that he certainly didn't ask for, but he ended World War II. Mm, yeah. He was the one that made the decision to drop those two bombs. And you can debate all day long whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, but it ended the war. And to me, that took a lot of courage, especially when you're thrust into it and you didn't ask for it. So those are the three people that I think I am, you know, I try to emulate, come woefully short, obviously, but those are my guiding principles. Yeah, I, I, I love that. There's always, somebody has one outlier each time. <laughs> Um, not to say Truman is an outlier or Reagan or, of course, uh, Jesus. I'm not going to define which one I believe to be the outlier. Um, um, but but that's that's fascinating. Yeah, Truman, like you're, you're absolutely right. Like we don't have to debate the morality of his decision. But um, from a leadership perspective, even from a human perspective, let's let's look at how 
impossible of a decision that was. And, and it truly was his alone at the end of the day. And just, wow. Um, I wanted to ask you, have you ever seen the, um, I believe it's called Truman. Gary Sinise played uh, Harry Truman. Anyway, it's oh, a very yeah. good, very, yeah. very good. Um, I don't even remember if it was a miniseries or movie. Um, no, it was a movie. It was a movie. Okay. I just remember being younger and that's how, uh, that's one of the things that kicked off my love of presidential history. I will say, um, Mr. Mayor, that I, I think um, that you and the rest of the city council have a lot to be proud of when it comes to the uh, growth and expansion of Woodstock overall. Um, I will, I will, I'm going to keep, I'm going to correct people be like, it's more than main street. Y'all pay attention as you're driving around. Um, exactly. <laughs> but um but oh, Main Street has some good restaurants, too. People are going to think all I do is eat because we were talking about Canton restaurants on that interview with Mayor Grant. Anyway, um, I wanted to thank you so much, sir, um, for coming on uh, and, and being a part of this. Uh, it has truly been a wonderful conversation, um, and, and particularly since we don't know each other. And then you were like, sure, I'll do this interview. So thank you so much, and thank you for your service, not only in the military, but to our community um, and the people of Woodstock. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure, and thank you. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mayor Donnie Enriquez of Woodstock. Next week, we're going to have two more episodes for you. The first will be Stacy Cooper, Executive Director of the Goshen Valley Boys Ranch. The second will be Chef Ashley of Choices, the center helping obesity and children end successfully. Please subscribe at iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Brittany Bangert for Lady Georgia.